This is the Swift by Sundell podcast, the show that answers your questions about Swift development. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for the 14th episode of this podcast. I'm your host, John Sundell, and ladies and gentlemen, this is the 2017 Swift by Sundell holiday special. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that we don't only have one, we don't have two, but we have three amazing guests on the show today, starting with Tobias Dumunk, uh, who is a developer of an awesome app called Slur, which lets you edit your portrait mode photos on your new iPhone. He's also an iOS freelancer working with many different companies. Welcome to the show, Tobias. Well, thank you. Very nice of you to have me on here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. And next up is uh, Natalia Patsovska, who I used to work together with at Spotify, but she's now moved on to new adventures with an exciting Swedish startup called iSettle. Welcome to the show, Natalia. Hey, thank you, John. Uh, thanks for having me and for bringing this amazing crew together. Yeah, it's uh, going to be fun, I think. It's a pleasure to have you, too. And last but not least, he is an organizer of awesome conferences like Swift Alps and App Builders, and he is an iOS developer at Scandit. It's Patrick Balestra. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Hey, everyone. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you on, too. All right, so it's the first time with three guests, so this is going to be a really special episode. That's why, why it's a holiday special, right? Um, so Tobias, you've been very busy lately. You have not only started your grand European tour of conferences, uh, but you have also released uh, a new app called Slur. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, uh, what's the app about, and how has it been releasing it? Yeah. So, so the grand tour was kind of. Um, I wanted to do a conference talk this year, so so I wrote uh, proposals for conferences uh, for different conferences to to see if they wanted me to to have me to speak. And uh, and then one picked up, and then another one picked up, and then the third one in the end picked up. So it's quite uh, been quite a big start on uh, on trying conference speaking. Um, fortunately, it has been the same talk all 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 times. So so that has been easing it quite a bit. Relating uh, relating the app, I'm I'm always uh, making new apps and uh, trying to push out. So even though I'm doing client work, I'm always trying to do my own things. Um, and then. Uh, when I'm doing it, then often I don't have a business model in mind, uh, and I kind of don't expect to make money from it. But this time around, Slur has actually been been quite successful. Uh, so it's not that I'm 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 filthy rich, uh, but I've made a decent amount of money back from from the time that I spend on it. That is excellent. It's always great to hear when people gain, you know, some success on the App Store, and you've been featured at least in Scandinavia. Uh, so yeah, things seem to have been going really well for you, which is always awesome to see. Yeah. Thanks. Great. Uh, so Natalia, you and I, we, we did some cool iOS work together at Spotify, and then we both kind of went went our separate ways, and now you've found your way back to Stockholm, and you're at iSettle. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that, like how's, how's things going at iSettle? Yeah, new challenges for both of us, I guess. Yeah. So it's a lot of new things on my work horizon lately, and I feel great about it. Uh, as you said, I joined this company called iSettle, and here we built a point-of-sale system for small businesses. Yeah, it's uh, these kind of uh, little dongles that you connect to your iPad, right? Exactly. Yeah, so they're they're like everywhere in Sweden. I think I've paid with them like a hundred times or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to work on 
yet another product that the people around me use like the people in my local bakery the people that i buy flowers from the taxi drivers because you know sweden cash is just dead yeah that's one of the things i love about sweden is that you know you can literally just bring your credit card everywhere you go and even like if you buy a hot dog from a hot dog stand this mm -hmm. person will accept credit cards yeah so yeah i'm part of the platform team there and we try to make it easier for uh, the ios team that's killed from three to ten people now to keep the same high quality code base and keep using the latest goodies and on top of that i'm working with um, new things for the first time like reactive programming and futures and generic apis so it's been super exciting so far Nice, yeah, that sounds sounds really cool. Sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, Patrick, you've also been busy lately. We saw each other just a couple of weeks ago at the Swift Alps, which was uh, a really awesome event, I must say. It was so much fun. So how have you been since then? I've been good. Yeah, pretty busy with university since I'm still studying in uh, my last year uh, of bachelor here in Switzerland. Um, I also work in part-time uh, right now, so yeah, I'm definitely pretty busy right now. You know, people ask me a lot, like, how can I get so much stuff done and how can I work on so many different things? But they should really be asking you because you are doing all these crazy things, like you're, you're a developer, you are organizing many conferences, but you're still at school. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's what many people tell me. But yeah, I have a lot of passion, so I still try to find the time to do all this stuff for the community and for myself. Uh, so, uh, how's App Builders coming along, uh, the new edition? App Builders is coming along pretty nicely. So, we already announced a lot of uh, nice speakers uh, for the next edition, which is uh, going to happen in Lugano, in the Swiss-Italian part of Switzerland. And uh, Yeah, it's pretty busy. Uh, we have a lot of uh, more speakers coming up in the next few weeks. And uh, we hope to see a lot of people there. Nice. Yeah, that sounds great. We'll put a link in the show notes also to the App Builders conference. I think... A lot of people who listen to the show might enjoy going to that conference. Awesome. So uh, this holiday special here is uh, going to be a lot of fun, I think. Uh, we've uh, mixed things up a little bit. So normally the show is all about answering questions and uh, talking about topics that were submitted by the listeners. But this time around, we thought we, we will actually come up with the questions and the topics. So all of us here in this little panel, this little holiday panel, uh, we've all brought one topic to the mix. Uh, so I'm going to start, and I'm going to start with my topic, which is about how to learn new technologies. So as we all know, there's new technologies coming out all the time. There's new open source frameworks, there's new versions of iOS, there's new APIs. So I wanted to hear what your approach is to trying out new technologies when they come out and how to kind of fit that into your schedule. So uh, Tobias, you've basically now built an app based on a new technology, which is the new depth API and like the, the portrait mode photo. So how do you kind of tackle learning new technologies? Yeah, so I think, uh, I think the way that I've done Slur is, uh, is very similar to how I often uh, approach uh, trying out new things. Um, I always think it's very uh, interesting and uh, uh, motivational to see things from from WWDC to kind of be inspired on how like what you could do and and uh, you suddenly have all these new tools available for you to to build things um, and I quite like to build on top of what others are building like standing on shoulder of giants you can do much more uh, and and something like Slur was very much just thing like that where 
Apple is, has done some work for some things. They, they opened up some, uh, some depth APIs. They added some, some filters for core image that I could use. And then I kind of uh, could imagine, like, I, I could make an app that could use these things and just combine it. So the end result is actually fairly simple, and that kind of, it, it was a fairly sh uh, small scope for me. Uh, but still putting out a full app always takes much more time than just uh, doing the small tech demo. Um, so, so a lot of it is about kind of pushing client work a bit away. Um, I had one month where I completely closed down for client work uh, during the summer um, because I was also going to conferences and, and uh, speaking uh, at some, and then it was kind of just too much to, to kind of deal with all of it at, uh, at once. Yeah, that sounds like a good approach to kind of block out time. It's great when you can do something like take a month just to like, you know, explore new APIs. And it's interesting to hear also like how, you know, you could build an app out of like what essentially was like a, an experiment in the beginning, right? Yeah, so so it's kind of like when they, when they introduced it, I always knew that I, I kind of wanted that app. And then as developers, we often think, well, I should build that app. Uh, or if we see someone else doing it, if they're doing something just a little bit different of what you would do, then you're always thinking, well, I, I could do better, I can, I can build that. Uh, so it's very much kind of like scratching my own itch. Um, but it's, it's always very interesting. Like you're, you're very inspired to do something, uh, and it's your own thing, so you don't have to worry about... Well, I kind of still have to worry about, worry about clients, because uh, I do work for them still, but it's kind of like if I can close down for them and push them a bit to the side, then, then I have a, quite a clear schedule for just working on, on, on a new project. Um, and I, I find that kind of... Um, kind of way of you kind of need to have a lot of time to look at new technologies like you can always be inspired and you can try a quick thing over the weekend but it's it's very dif different to actually build the final product with that technology i personally have a quite different approach to new technologies i haven't really played with ar kit when it went out or haven't written uh you know hello world app to try something like viper but i always try to keep myself informed so that I know what's possible and also to get inspired. Um, what keeps me more motivated is in experimenting with new ideas and not necessarily using the latest tools. But of course there is a relationship between those two things. So sometimes new ideas are inspired by the new capabilities that we get. Um, so then I just uh, dive in and try to find the the limitations of uh, the technology or the framework uh, so that I know what's possible. The classic pushing it to its limits, right? Mm -hmm. I think I have a similar approach to what Tobias does, uh, which is like, I need to have an idea on which I have to, to base my work on. So let's say I find this new cool API, but I don't really know where to start or what to make. So I need to find an idea for an app that could be useful to me or to someone else and try to use that new API to build this application. So for example, this year, ARKit came out, and as soon as it came out, I didn't really know what I could make with it. But a few weeks later, when I was back in Switzerland after WWDC, I realized I could like measure distances with ARKit because it was so powerful. And so to learn ARKit, I just built my own ruler app. So that was kind of cool. It took me only one hour and I, got my head around the basics of ARKit and I was able to understand how ARKit work. Uh, so I didn't really have to spend a lot of hours or uh, it wasn't such a time consuming task, but I was still able to build a prototype and learn uh, a new API. 
Yeah, that's that's really cool. And uh, things like ARKit, where it's like completely new ground, or uh, something like when you start diving into like VR development or something else like ML, machine learning, where it's just doing something that can seem quite basic can actually be really cool both for you and for others because everyone is kind of figuring things out, right? Yeah, exactly. For example, I never did uh, 3D graphics before, so I didn't really know where the X, Y, and Z axis were. So I really had to Google the basics and try to find as many resources as possible. Yeah, it's like, whoops, I'm holding it upside down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, my approach is also a little bit similar. Um, I I do a lot of experimentation uh, all the time. And I think it's like really important part of our kind of jobs as developers because, you know, Application development these days, it's not very static. It changes all the time. And if you just like take like five years ago, what it used to be like, and now it's like so different. So I think it's really important to kind of keep up with things and it can sometimes be a little bit exhausting and there's so many new things coming out. So I think my biggest tips would be to kind of pick only a few things that you're really interested in and that makes you excited and experiment with them, like build a prototype, build an app. And if, if you uh, go all the way and you're able to actually ship something, well, that's awesome. But I, I don't necessarily think that it needs to be the primary goal. At least it's not for me. Uh, I, for example, I build probably like 10 or 15 uh, prototype apps every year or even more, uh, but I don't ship them. Um, I ship you know something every once in a while, but most of it is just for learning and for trying things out. Uh, so I think that's, you know, throwaway code where you kind of, you you don't have to worry so much about the, the kind of quality and the architecture and things that you're building. You can just let your mind roam free. I think that can be super valuable as well. So I also think that um, with the open sourcing of a lot of projects and like the Swift project, there are so many opportunities to experiment by, you know, reviewing the implementation of popular open source frameworks and then building your own tools or trying out some of the concepts there. Yeah, so I, I, I seldom look at open source projects and kind of dive into them and see how things are done. Um, to me, it's just um, uh, it's a very, uh, like it, you just have this wall of code, but kind of like you have an entire project and there's so many things that just look different than from what I like from when I write code or kind of uh, like so, I always find it a very fairly daunting to kind of just look at someone else's code base or an open source project to kind of figure things out. Uh, so for me, that has never really worked. Um, for me, it, it's uh, I really like the videos from from Dub Dub DC. Um, they are very kind of like these are the building blocks and these are the things you can do. And then uh, I I kind of get the idea that uh, Patrick also mentioned earlier. Like so, you kind of. You have this thing that you're working around and you're kind of poking at it yourself. Um, I've never had this. Uh, I, yeah, it, it's very difficult for me to learn from looking at open source project or looking in a book or something like that. Um, I always like to do the, like I need to massage the code myself uh, and build it from the ground up, I think. Yeah, I mean, one thing that is that you learn quite quickly when you start talking to people about this kind of stuff is everyone learns in different ways and there's really no right and wrong. 
So I'm, I'm very similar to Natalia. Like I love poking around in open source projects and I love like, you know, trying to figure them out. And for me, that's like a, like a little puzzle. <laughs> uh, sometimes the puzzle is easier and harder depending on how the project is structured and how well documented it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, I think it can also be a, like a really great approach to, uh, to look at that and to kind of use open source. And whenever you find something that could be improved, you can dive into it. And that's a great learning opportunity as well. All right, great. So that was a really, uh, really good answers. A uh, lot of fun. So let's move over now to the next topic, which comes from Tobias. So what do you have from us for us, Tobias? Yeah. So um, I've been thinking about a topic uh, that is about uh, staying motivated, or maybe you call it efficient when you're working on your own things. Um, so very often I, I work on my own things. Uh, often I'm the uh, the only tech person on a team and I'm, when I'm working with clients. Um, so uh, it's, it's often for me, it's, it's important to kind of have a way to motivate myself. Uh, and with this topic, I don't think I have that many answers myself. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear how, uh, how the other people in the panel kind of, how they work around motivation. Like usually what I do is, is I'm, I'm trying to make space and time for things, uh, like to plan things, like to just make sure I say, well, I'm, on Tuesday, I'm going to work on this specific project, put it in the calendar. Uh, it always helps to do it, but uh, it's never a guarantee. And it, it doesn't feel like, um, I don't know, I don't, it doesn't feel like it's my way of doing it, but that's how I do it so far. So uh, what do you guys think? It's really difficult to stay motivated. I mean, I have a lot of side projects and most of the time they end up in nothing. So just like history in my GitHub repos that never ship or never even complete. So I, I think I, I kind of do the same as, as, as Tobias uh, does. Like I try to put in my reminders, okay, today I have to do this task and close this PR and finish this uh, feature in my side project. And I always try to find a time, but it's not always as easy as it sounds. So I, I think you really have to focus on what you on what you want to, to finish and what you want to accomplish. And for example, which new API you want to try it out. And you really have to focus on only one thing at a time. It's really difficult to do because maybe you don't even finish doing this specific uh, task that you already have in mind, a new idea that it sounds already better than the one you're currently doing. So you want to switch back, but you can't really do that. So you have to try and focus on one specific thing and try to finish it. Yeah, that sounds like a good approach to not take on too many things at the same time, but rather try to you know do one thing at a time. I think the trick that works for me is to commit to do something and then I have to do it. It's uh, like going to uh, going for a run or for a party on Sunday. You know that staying at home will be awesome and that you can be lazy, but you also know that you have a lot of fun. So once you arrange something or accept a challenge, suddenly you have this external uh, motivator as well. And that kind of works for me with uh, projects as well. I just share my idea with someone and promise to present it. And then I have to work on it. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good trick that I've been using a lot lately. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I've been kind of very active on Twitter and been sharing so many things, because it also pushes me forward to actually kind of deliver those things. So if I 
talk about a game I'm building, well, I'm always thinking, well, I, I told people about this game and I've shown people this game, now I actually have to finish it. <laughs> so I think that's a, that's a good way of doing things to kind of tell people about it, to put some, a little bit of external pressure, if you will, on, on yourself, right? Yeah, and also experiment with the things that you commit to do. Like I tend to commit to doing a lot of things that I don't know anything about like participating in a podcast <laughs> yeah but I, I've never regretted because um, when I keep myself challenged I, I focus and I can channel my energy and the results surprise me <laughs> yeah totally and this is a really interesting topic I think I I've lately gotten really into like productivity and motivation and how these things work uh, I wrote a blog post a couple of weeks about productivity and um, and kind of what I think about. And motivation for me is very tightly connected. Uh, for me, it's a lot about removing blockers in my workflow. So for example, um, I work on a lot of games like with my friends and uh, we used to have a workflow that was very kind of broken and very uh, high maintenance. So what we used to do was that I have some friends, uh, they make the graphics for the games that we build, and I write the code. So they would basically put the graphics on Dropbox, I would get them from Dropbox, I would put them in Xcode, I would, uh, you know, put them in on GitHub, and I would have to write code in the app to actually load those assets and uh, bind them to like the different game objects. And that was always kind of, you know, a, a blocker for, for motivation because I knew that every time they would make some new graphics, it was kind of like a chore for me, like, oh, now I have to put them in the app again. <laughs> and now instead, uh, we figured out a much better workflow where we have like scripts and some automation and it actually just pulls the asset right in. Uh, they actually put the assets now on on GitHub instead of putting them on, on Dropbox and they can just get pulled automatically into the app and into the game. And doing things like this for me is super important because that way when I have some time to focus on a side project or do something fun, uh, it's actually fun. It's actually, I can stay productive, I can stay uh, motivated because I don't have to deal with all these kind of boring tasks. I've kind of automated them away. I think it sounds, uh, it sounds very interesting like in, in a way of saying why like the things that you should automate are the things that you don't want to do. Uh, it, it's a fairly simple thing, but kind of I, I think maybe mostly you want to automate the things that you have to do often. Uh, but if think that like if, or if you have to do them often or they take a long time. But this approach is more of a well, the things that you don't want to do are the things that you should automate. Um, I think that's yeah maybe that's a way to motivate people to actually automate things. So I think I, I like it. Yeah, awesome. And a trick that I have is when I catch myself not being productive, uh, I write them down and just leave them in front of me. And then I see that I'm actually maybe spending too much energy on something that is not that important. Or maybe I can remove one of the things uh, with just several minutes of focusing on that and then it's gone. So I have less things to focus on. And that way, really, I can remove some of the stress and keep myself motivated. Yeah, that's a really good tip. Um, I definitely think there's a big correlation between stress and the amount of things you have on your plate and getting stuff off that to-do list and trying to do like the... I have a system I call quick wins where I try to... Uh, get rid of the things that are really easy and quick to do as quick as possible uh, because then I don't have to you know keep them in mind anymore I can just you know forget about them and move on yeah I think I, I think I do something similar like I, I often find that I'm very efficient when I'm procrastinating uh, and if I have a 
if I have a fairly decent to-do list, then like if you have one thing that you kind of don't want to do, then you do all the other things because at least you're doing something on the to-do list, right? Even though they're not the most important thing or the next thing. Uh, so often I'm I'm quite efficient when I'm when I'm doing those things, but yeah, it it doesn't work for like it doesn't work for continuous work on things. Like it works for like small durations or if you need to kind of switch things around. And if you have a day where you don't feel like you've done anything, then you can kind of just like do all the small uh, task. So even though their procrastination is kind of you're still doing things that you should have done anyway at some point. Um, so yeah, I kind of I kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and there's always so many small tasks that you kind of always have to do anyway, like review pull requests or answer some email or maybe like write a unit test for something that always needed it or fix some bug that's been around forever. You know, there's always things to pick up and uh, those things can be great to kind of fill out your day if you're feeling a little bit, you know, slow or unproductive, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I also agree with what you, John, uh, said before uh, with like publishing on Twitter that you're working on something that you... Uh, which then keep you keeps you motivated in, in in finishing it, but it's also very very dangerous. For example, this summer I was working as an intern, and then I also started this side project uh, about the yard kit, and people started asking me, okay, when is this in the app store? And so that pushed me a lot into uh, having to work on it because other people wanted to see my my finished product. So that was kind of dangerous because uh, I really wanted to finish it, but I wasn't really sure to to have the to have the time to do it properly, so I didn't really want to rush something only because people were were waiting for for a finished product. So I think you really have to balance between uh, forcing yourself to finish something and your uh, your free time, so you you don't burn out because of uh, your, your own stress that you put on yourself. Yeah, totally. It's always about a balance and knowing yourself and knowing your own limits and taking time to relax as well. So not trying to move too fast. Awesome, uh, another great topic there. So let's move over now to topic number three. And this one is from Natalia. So I don't know about you, but I really like retrospectives. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I love them. Right. Um, but I'm not talking only about the ones that you uh, do while you're working on, like with the Agile team. Um, I like the personal ones as well. So I recently thought about the experiences over the past few years that helped me improve as an engineer. And it's easier to follow the learning process when you just started with programming uh, because everything is new. But I think it's also important to take some time for reflections when you get into a routine. So I realized I had some experiences that can seem trivial at a glance, at first glance, but they helped me quite a lot to learn. And I wish I knew what impact they would have earlier. So I thought, why not discuss this with you? Uh, so what are the experiences that had uh, some kind of profound impact on you as an engineer? Yeah, in my case, I think it's definitely my previous internships. So as I'm still in school, I have a, I started doing IS development when I was in middle school, high school, let's say. And I had the opportunity to work in different companies as an intern during the summer. So during the year, I was going to, into school and having my own side projects. So I was always working alone and learning on my own. But then in the summer, uh, I did some uh, four or five uh, internships as a IS developer in various companies in Switzerland and even in Germany. And that really helped me a lot in uh, meeting new people, meeting new teams, 
and seeing how big companies work. So I think for the listeners who are uh, my kind of age, they should really try to, to get into the world, uh, into the real job world as soon as possible, because you really improve a lot of your skills by only working with other developers which are uh, better than you. So I think that's one of the things that really impacted me as an engineer. Yeah, that's a really good one. Learning from other people is always like key, I think, to growing. Yeah, so that's definitely one thing that I didn't do. Um, I've always been working very much uh, on my own. Uh, I didn't study computer science. Uh, I learned it on the side, so I didn't have uh, co-students that I could uh, kind of ping-pong uh, things up against and, and learn things that way. Um, and until recently, I actually never worked on any projects that had another iOS developer. Um, so, so what I've usually done, um, since I, I, don't, I don't think I have one thing that is kind of like the most profound thing that, uh, that, uh, that has pushed me forward. Uh, but what I always do when I have a, a new project is that, that I'm trying to kind of make um, a short list, uh, either uh, just by thinking about it or maybe even writing it down to kind of say what are the things that I want to learn, learn from this uh, next project. Uh, so it's, uh, if I have a new client, that's kind of part of my reason for taking on that project. It's not only uh, can I get a high rate on this client or is it an interesting project, do they have an interesting team, uh, like it's, it's all the different all the different things. Uh, so sometimes it's about, well, is it, a, is it a new technology that I can work on that I want to do? Uh, is it something that pushes me in a direction of, for instance, I'm, uh, I play music, so I often want to kind of want to work more with it, but it's not often that projects are related to music. Uh, so if there's a project that is related to sound or music in some way, I'm, I'm more keen on doing that project. Uh, so, what, so what I'm doing with the list is I'm kind of making uh, some success criteria for that specific project. So when I'm done with the project, I can kind of go back and like that is my retrospective for that project uh, so that I can kind of see, well, did I actually push myself towards making something with music? Yes, I did. So even though the project failed, I still learned something in a direction that I wanted to learn something. Um, so one thing I did recently was that I, I, joined, um, I joined a project where the client was a, a bigger team and a bigger company and they had other iOS developers. So that was really motivational for me because that was something I felt that was lacking from my skill set in terms of I didn't know if I could do a PR. Like I hadn't done a, a, a actual PR in a normal agile process before. Um, so, so it was quite interesting to kind of, for new projects, always kind of to push in a new way. Um, so it feels like small impacts on my engineering skills, uh, but I'm trying to be very um, kind of, specific about what it should be for each project. Um, because it's then if you fail on so many levels, you always have these smaller things that you might have succeeded in. Um, so you don't feel like, you, like if, you, if you're never finishing a project, it's always nice that you, well, at least I learned this new technology. But if that's something that you're making as an excuse afterwards, I, have, I find it more difficult to take it as, a, like an, like as, a, as an okay excuse. Uh, so if I'm upfront about it saying, well, I'm doing this, it might fail, but I'm doing it to learn a new technology. And then in the end, if I have learned a new technology, then it doesn't matter if the project actually failed. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like a really good approach. And uh, to be upfront with what you want to learn from something, I think that can be a great way to keep pushing yourself forward and learning new things to always kind of keep that in mind. So for my kind of most profound moment of, of 
of impact for myself, uh, I kind of want to take you back a little bit on a journey through time, if you will, uh, back to uh, March 2013. And this was when I was interviewing for a job at Spotify. And this was a very big turning point for me, actually, because before that, I had been working as a freelancer, doing some game development, working with smaller companies in Gothenburg, which is a smaller city in Sweden. And um, back then, like in 2013, in, especially in this in the city, uh, it was extremely easy to get a job as an iOS developer. I mean, you might think it's easy now. There's a lot of jobs. But then it was, it was crazy because every single company... It was like the big, big boom of iOS development and everyone wanted an app. So you could basically just walk into an interview and the first thing they would say was like, Where, when can you start? <laughs> so it was, it was crazy. And um, back then, you know, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any internet presence. Uh, you know, it was, it was different. So I went to Spotify and I kind of expected the same thing. I expected just to kind of waltz in there and, you know, sign the papers, <laughs> basically, uh, which was, you know, really, uh, in retrospect, uh, very, uh, very naive of me. Uh, but when I walked into Spotify, the first thing that happened was that uh, there was someone greeting me in the in reception and said, hi, uh, come with me. We're going to go to the room. We're going to have an interview. And the first thing that happened was like, hey, can you solve this algorithmic problem on the whiteboard? <laughs> so that was like very different. It wasn't at all what I expected. And even though I ended up somehow miraculously kind of making this interview and getting the job, uh, it was a very big learning point for me to realize that I had been kind of in a little bit of a bubble where I only had a very limited view of the world. And by going to Spotify, working there, getting this job and being in this interview process, it kind of opened up my mind and, and taught me that I need to step out of my comfort zone and I need to uh, think bigger because, um, you know, it's so easy to get stuck in your own bubble. And I think now a lot of things, what is driving me from this point forward is I always try to get out of my comfort zone and I always try to find new challenges and I always try to find situations where I'm a beginner again. And that's kind of why I started this podcast or a big reason for it is I wanted to do something completely new that I was a beginner at and see what it would be like. Uh, I think for a lot of people who start at Spotify early in their career path, it's actually a huge turning point and I can totally relate to what you are saying. And I definitely think that um, the time that I spent at Spotify um, learning about how to work together, not only with a lot of really good iOS developers, but also with product and with analytics, really broadened my perspective. And I kind of applied this in my daily work. But I wanted to highlight one other thing that um, was kind of surprising for me that it it had an impact on me. I think one of the biggest changes for me came when I switched from writing unit tests for pure logical code, like computations, you know, helpers, the things that are super easy to cover. Once I started writing tests for different parts of my app, quickly noticed how many internal dependencies my code creates, how many assumptions it makes, it's it's not always always that obvious. Like some things like UI application, UI screen, there of course states that you don't control, but there are less obvious things as well that you will find. And I I think the fastest way to learn uh, that you should not abuse singletons is to experience the consequences on testability yourself. And 
my experience was that no one told me, oh, you have to learn about dependency injection. I actually was looking for something like this and found myself like seeking about this information, not because it's a popular approach, but because I, I felt the needs of having it. Yeah, it's always great when you can kind of realize some kind of design faults of your own code through experiencing the pain of it. Uh, because it's always very hard when someone tells you like, hey, you should do this or shouldn't do that or whatever uh, to relate it to your own code. But when you can actually see, oh, if I actually do it this way, that will make this a lot easier. And unit testing is definitely one of those things where it kind of, there's, you can kind of divide your time before and after you were, you were writing tests, right? <laughs> yeah, but the thing is that I was doing it. I was adding a lot of unit tests, but I was in this bubble that, okay, I will just keep uh, basic test coverage just for the important stuff. But then I not only increased the test coverage on the project, I also learned that my code is not that good as I told it, it is. And I think learning that uh, you're not doing something right as quick as possible is like super beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. It's the classic fail as soon as possible, right? Awesome. So we have one more topic and it's Patrick's topic. So what do you have for us, Patrick? So my topic is all about conferences and meetups. So I got started in, into the Apple community thanks to a local uh, Apple fans meetup here in my, in my, in my region. And, and I started also attending conferences uh, for iOS development and in development more in general. And that really got me interested into the community because there is such an amazing community around the Apple platforms where we all share uh, code, we share, we share um, skills and new technologies together. And I think conferences is one of the things that really kept me into the community. So that's why I also started organizing conferences uh, in, in the last few years. And I think also speaking is really important. And you, you guys showed that in, in many different conferences around the world. So I just, want to, I just want to get your opinion on how it is about speaking and attending conferences. And what do you think about conferences in general? So last year, I... Uh, for the first time went to a conference. I hadn't went to a gone to a conference before. I've been working for uh, like two years with iOS. Uh, I finished studying like three years before that. So it was, it was it was kind of a new thing and I really liked it. The first conference I went to was UIConf and it was, it was really interesting. Uh, I went there and mainly actually got to know better some of uh, my fellow uh, colleagues in, in Copenhagen. So So people that I knew from the local community. Uh, but not people that I uh, actually had to go to Berlin to actually get starting to to talk to. Uh, but in general, I just like the like you're kind of exposing yourself by going to a conference. So you're kind of like you're, you're kind of like you feel like you're going out to a new country and you're trying to see the world. So what I did the rest of the year was I actually signed up for a couple of more conferences and went to those as well, um, and I I really liked it. So what I kind of decided at the end of the of the year uh, was that I wanted to speak at a conference next year, or at least try to do it. And many, many conferences in, in, in Europe, at least, they have, uh, they have called for proposals and are very open about uh, bringing in new people, people that hasn't uh, been doing talks before uh, at conferences. Uh, so I, I just wrote an abstract for something that I wanted to speak about. Um, I had done a talk about something kind of similar uh, at a local meetup here in Copenhagen. Yeah, I kind of had an idea for something that I could talk about. So I, I made the abstract and I sent it. And it seemed like it, it got a, 
I kind of I I also shared it on on Twitter, just saying like, hey, I I made my first uh, conference proposal. This is the abstract, and a few people kind of said, well, they they thought it was kind of interesting. Um, so that was the kind of the first positive feedback on on doing it, uh, which was really nice. So like, always share what you do. Uh, it, like, it's not all, always that your family or your friends can kind of relate to some of the things you might be working on. Uh, so Twitter is always a nice place to kind of get feedback on it. And then I actually ended up being like chosen to be one of the speakers. So it's kind of like my, my first year was kind of this, um, like going to conferences, and this year has been going to conferences to speak. Uh, so it, it's uh, like I, I feel like it's driving me forward that I'm 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 doing new things. I'm I'm exposing myself to to new things uh, and learning from it. So so I I really like conferences. Uh, and the first step is I hear that from almost everyone is that going to your local meetups doing a talk at your local meetup and you kind of like if that's something that you find interesting or something you want to do more conferences is just like it's just a big version of a meetup and you meet even more people they are from further away um, so yeah I find it very interesting to go to conferences I think people really have to give uh, like themselves the opportunity to find if conferences are for them or not because uh, when I started programming, I didn't know anything about conferences. We don't have, um, actually now we have quite a lot of meetups in Bulgaria, but when I started programming, there were not a lot of local events. So my first experience was when I was um, selected for Apple Tech Talks and I got super excited and attended this. And although it's not like the typical conference, I really enjoyed that experience and met a lot of people there and they told me about super interesting conferences around Europe so I decided to to give it a chance and I'm really happy about this because I wouldn't know how much fun it is and I wouldn't meet all of you guys and meet uh, to be as family and so many other people that yeah, you just meet at conferences, you create these connections that you can keep with yourself and uh, it's truly awesome. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, I think uh, I agree very much with you that uh, the conferences is all about like meeting people, you know, connecting with others and uh, it's all about like the conversations you have. So I usually say that the talks at a conference is really like just setting the stage. They're like a, a way to get the conversation started. But the true value of a conference is almost always uh, meeting others and talking like during the breaks, during the evenings and all the other time that you can. So I think like a big tip is whenever you do go to a conference, make sure to uh, like, for example, if you are going with uh, with some people from the same company as you, try to like split that up. So don't just hang out in your little cluster. Uh, just go and speak to all kinds of people that you can. And remember that everyone is there to socialize. Everyone is there to to learn new things. Everyone is there to, to meet new people. Uh, so uh, you should never feel that you can't approach someone or you you shouldn't like go to a speaker and ask them a question or something. The opposite, like definitely... Uh, speak to as many people as you can and and uh, try to be as active as possible during the days that you're there. Yeah, it's about making an effort to create this event memorable. It's not only the speakers that need to make this effort, but also the attendance. Um, I, I think it might be actually really disappointing for you if you attend a conference and just wait for something to happen. 
uh, or you if you just go for the talks and leave as early as possible to explore the new city it's it's always exciting to visit a new city but uh, try to plan for this and like take an extra day or something because when you go to a conference uh, the fun part is about spending time with the people and maybe exploring the city with them as well yeah, I mean, you can go have awesome tapas in uh, in some restaurant in Spain, but it's even better if you can do it while complaining about Xcode with your fellow developers, right? Oh my god, and Spain was so beautiful and so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it totally was. Yeah, I think the, the hardest part in going to conferences uh, is giving it a shot, so you really have to to at some point to say, okay, I really want to try this and, and go to, to a conference or to a meetup. But as we said before, there are many people uh, living outside the bubble. So as to be said, like as soon as you start uh, doing IS development, you don't really get to know conferences or other people speaking at conferences, for example, because you don't know any anyone. So I think getting into the social media and starting to, to talk with colleagues or friends can really open your mind about uh, how the community, how, the, how wide the community is. And, and one of the problem for me was, uh, one of the hardest problems to overcome for me was to actually get to know new people and talk to them. So I was really shy at the beginning and I didn't really know why I should go to other people and talk to them if they are already talking with each other. So I think that's one of the hardest part in really uh, in trying to find a person that maybe you know from Twitter or from the internet and try to, to stick with them for a while and maybe try to meet new people that this person knows better than you do and and try to do this try to have this approach um, at each situation that you encounter to meet new people because obviously i think one of the the most important thing in conferences is to meet people so when i first went to my first wwdc i was all about going to talks and not missing one talk but when then i realized that there were 1000 engineers working at apple in, in the same venue as i was it didn't really make sense to go to all the talks when I could just download them and watch them on my flight back home. So the second time I went to WWDC, I really got to know more and more people, more and more Apple engineers, which are always useful connection because if you have a bug, then you can get in touch with them. And I think that's one of the most, uh, most useful thing you can get from uh, attending conferences. Yeah, totally. All right, so we have one quick more topic uh, for this holiday special, and that is that there is a uh, tradition that you might not be aware of, but every year there is um, a special Santa Claus who comes from Cupertino, California, and goes around the world to visit all the iOS developers around the world to give them what they wish for, hopefully, if they have been nice and written their unit tests. And that is Xcode Santa. And Xcode Santa, you can make wishes to him uh, to, see, to ask for what you want Apple to actually do next year. So I will start and wish to Xcode Santa that Apple will integrate the Swift Package Manager into Xcode next year. Uh, I really love the Swift Package Manager. I think it's a really elegant, nice way of managing your dependencies, but it's only for Linux and Mac OS, so you can't use it for iOS and it's not integrated into Xcode. So I would love to see that. 
Uh, one thing that I love about the Swift Package Manager in particular is that it derives much of your project structure from the file system. So you don't need to keep around an Xcode project. You can just generate it whenever you need it. And I think that would solve a lot of problems that people have when working on uh, on bigger projects uh, to actually be able to more uh, derive things from the file system instead of having to update the project file. And I know there are already some tools to do that, but I think if we could get the Swift Package Manager uh, into Xcode as an officially a supported tool, I think that would be awesome. So please, Xcode Santa, bring me that next year. Yeah, I was actually about to do to say the same. So <laughs> I really wish uh, we get uh, the Swift Package Manager integrated into Xcode next year. But another thing that they really want to see next year is stability, because like right now, Xcode nine really brought us a lot of new features, and I'm really a uh, I really am thankful for Xcode Santa of last year for that. <laughs> uh, but I also want to see a lot of uh, stability improvements. Like right now, I see many small bugs that really uh, bug me dur during the day. So I really have to first quit Xcode a few times a day. And I think if next year we just get a few major features like the Swift Package Manager and everything else is just about polishing and uh, fixing a lot of um, old bugs, that would be super nice for me. Awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. All right, what about you, Tobias? What wishes do you wish to send to Xcode Santa? Yeah, so um, actually I I kind of, uh, this question was kind of like, a, I don't know, I, I, don't, I haven't thought about things that I'm kind of looking for. I'm, I'm more looking for uh, uh, APIs, like new things in the iOS SDK. Uh, in terms of Xcode specifically, I'm, uh, John, you uh, tweeted something the other day about having Xcode in full screen mode and then uh, actually in like a split full screen and then with a similar uh, simulator on the other side of the yeah. screen. Uh, and there's kind of, I don't know, like there's, uh, is there like an info plist setting or something that you have to change to enable that or something? Or yeah, like exactly. Like yeah, you need to, thing. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to just have the simulated view inside of uh, Xcode. Like, so just like you have a, like a right column thing that you could just have the simulator right in there because, uh, when when we're testing iOS apps, we have well most of the apps work on on iPhones and on iPads and on all the different screen sizes. So often I just kind of want to have like a square uh, screen where I can just test the thing that I'm working on right now. Uh, so like having the simulator to be able to just run inside Xcode or like as a window inside of Xcode, I think would be quite uh, uh, quite convenient. Um, and I think when they all now, since they're doing that because I'm asking for it and I've been good this year, um, <laughs> I, I think like the next step after that, and that might be for next year again, uh, but that would be to, uh, like, let's say that you're making a, a view class and you don't like uh, Interface Builder because, uh, well, I don't. So that you have the, you have the class for the, the view and you have the file and then you just kind of want to see a view with it next to it. So I would like to have a way of kind of making, uh, like to just visual, like to have a, have the simulator just run the view as if it's in a playground or something like that, where you just you have the code and you can lay it out and maybe you can add just like some small scripts to say, I want this view tested right next to the code at this size and with these property sets, or maybe with uh, some different properties that you can change between. So you can see maybe three different versions of the, uh, like let's say a UI table view cell, and you have three different uh, options for it, and then you just want to see all the three different options. So when you're kind of coding and changing things, you can just immediately see and debug uh, the view code that you're making. Uh, because view code is always difficult to, to test, and I would like to just have like a very short feedback loop on that. Um, so, so that's my, 
my wish this year. I'm really glad that you mentioned this to VS because this is my wish to Xcode Center. I actually want Xcode to contain like internally the snapshot testing abilities because I was using Facebook snapshot test case quite a lot, but it's a fairly simple framework and it's so useful and it does exactly what you just described. So you can get uh, only your view laid out and you can have a couple of versions of the view and it's just so easy. You just run a single test and it takes you a second to um, lay this out. So why not having it live, but also um, adding this snapshot testing ability to Xcode? It will be awesome. Yeah, that would be really cool to have that built in as well. Nice, so we're packaging up these uh, wishes, sending them off to Xcode Santa, and let's hope uh, something happens next year. All right, so uh, we've now reached the end of this holiday special. So all that remains is for me to thank you very much, my fantastic guests, for joining me on this episode. Uh, Patrick, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Natalia, as well. Thank you. Looking forward to see you. Yeah, you too. And uh, thanks a lot, Tobias. Thank you, and uh, thanks again for, for having me on here. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So if uh, people want to find you online, where should they go? Patrick, where, where are you online these days? So my username is my last name, so Balestra Patrick with a CK on basically every social network. So I tweet a lot, so you can find me on Twitter or also on GitHub. I do open source quite often. Awesome. And what about you, Natalia? Where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter. I'm Natalia underscore BG because Bulgaria is awesome. Awesome, good stuff. And what about you, Tobias? Yeah, so I can, all, I can also be found uh, in the Twitters. My handle is uh, TobiasDM, and that's, that's, that's the main place, uh, main place I hang out. Or if people come to Copenhagen, they should, uh, they should definitely write to me and, uh, and, and stop by. Yeah, totally. I will definitely do that next time I visit Copenhagen. I also want to thank everyone who has sent in all the topics and questions and everything for all the episodes of the show so far. Uh, I want to thank all the other guests that have been on. Without them, it, it wouldn't have been possible to do this show. And last but not least, I want to thank all of you who have been listening to all of these 14 episodes and sharing them online and talking about it and giving me feedback. Uh, it's been really amazing and... I'm really excited to see where the show goes in the next year. So this podcast will be back early next year. We have a fantastic lineup of new guests and new topics. So I'm really looking forward to that. But until then, I wish you a very, very happy holidays and a happy new year. And I'll talk to you on the next episode.